So we just passed the halfway point of the month of Elul. And I've been thinking over the last few weeks since Elul started. When did Elul become Elul? Meaning we have this, Elul has a vibe. Elul has a sense. We have a sense that, okay, the, the Amos Haddin begins. Elul is starting. Um, and the moment we get to, specifically, the second day of Rosh Chodesh Elul, Aleph Elul, it's almost like a, a switch is flipped. And we enter into this period where the summer is over, and that whole thing, right, the, the good times are behind us, vacation is behind us. And now we buckle down and we enter into this intense period of 40 days of introspection, of tshuva, of tefillah, that culminates with Yom Kippur. And if you tend to notice things, which I tend to notice, you'll see that Rosh Chodesh Elul doesn't really hold any specific import in the times of the Gemara, the times of the Mishnah. If you, it got me thinking, like, okay, when did, how did Elul become Elul? How did Elul become this month of Tshuva? When did Elul become this month of Tshuva? So as I mentioned, you know, the Mishnah does mention Rosh Chodesh Elul. It is one of two candidates for being the Rosh Hashanah of Fermeiser Behema. It's not particularly resonant with this whole theme of tshuva and tefillah. It means that every year, if you have a, a flocks of animals, then you have to take one-tenth of the animals born in that year uh, and give them to the, give them to the Kohen. Uh, the fiscal year for born animals is from Rosh Chodesh Elul to Rosh Chodesh Elul according to one opinion in the Mishnah, right? So really nothing to do with, nothing to do with anything. And this is not observed really anymore. Maeser Behema, it's, it's an interesting sugya, uh, but it's not really, it's not really practiced so much. I mean, most of us just don't have flocks of animals, and even those of us who do, there's all kinds of workarounds that developed in the times of the Rishonim. Nobody really does my Behema. So that leaves us with, okay, when did Elul become Elul? And if you want to think about it, okay, what makes Elul Elul? What makes this Rosh Chodesh Elul? What, what gives it its stamp? What gives it its... What creates the mood? What creates the vibe? So for a lot of us, the answer will be, oh, we start blowing the shofar. Okay, good. Excellent answer. When did we start blowing the shofar on Rosh Chodesh Elul? Or when did we start blowing the shofar every day of the month of Elul? And does everybody blow the shofar every day of the month of Elul? Okay, and then another one is Ledavid. We say Ledavid Hashem Ori, Psalm 27. Okay, when did that start? When did, and why did that start? And you have Svardim saying Slichos. When did that begin? When did Svardim when did it start that Svartim says Lichos every day of the month of Elul? So these are some of the ingredients that give Elul the vibe, that give Elul a vibe, right? These are all things that happen in the context of tefillah uh, that give Elul a certain, okay, we're starting, we're in the on-ramp, we're on the, 
you know, we just passed the sign that says Rosh Hashanah five miles. We're getting close. So the idea, you know, part of the idea, so somebody's already thinking, ah, the whole thing of Elul is because when Moshe Rabbeinu went up for the third time, went up to Har Sinai, he went up on Rosh Chodesh Elul. Okay, good. Now, where's that from? When's that from? So now, it happens to be that that one is pretty, the Gemara in Tainus, Daflamid, Amabes, says that, the, the Gemara says that there are two happiest days of the cal- on the calendar, the Jewish calendar, were Yom Kippur and Tuba'av. And the Gemara says, well, we understand Yom Kippur, it's a day of Slicha and Mechila, it's the day that, that Moshe Rabbeinu got Kapara on our behalf. But what about Tuba'av? It says that there, you know, and Rashi explains, but it's already there in the Gemara, that's the day that Moshe got the final, that Moshe Rabbeinu got the final Kapara, that's the day that Moshe was given in the second Luchos. That was the first Yom Kippur. And we know that Moshe went up in increments of 40 days. It doesn't say that there in the Gemara. But we know that the first time was 40 days. Um, and we know that the last time was 40 days. So we say, okay, this was this is 40 days. So if you count back from Yom Kippur, 40 days, you get to either the last day of Av or the first day of Elul, depending on whether Rosh Hashanah that year was 29 days or 30 days. Okay, so you have something there. Even though the Gemara doesn't actually speak about Rosh Chodesh Elul in that context, and you can even ask, like, okay, so what's so special about Rosh Chodesh Elul? It's just the day that Moshe Rabbeinu went up. It's not, why does that make it significant? The first to spell it out is a much later text, well, not much later text, a later text, Pirkei Rabbi Eliezer, mentions explicitly that Moshe Rabbeinu went up, that Moshe Rabbeinu came down, the second time on Chof Tes Av, 29th day of Av, and then he went up the next day and he came down on Yom Kippur. So it's already saying, yeah, that's when Moshe Rabbeinu went up, he went up on Rosh Chodesh Elul, and therefore we blow the shofar on Rosh Chodesh Elul. It doesn't say, in Eliezer, it doesn't say that there's a minute to blow the shofar every single day of Elul, only that that day, which is either the first or the second, either Lamed Av or Aleph Elul, is a day that we blow the shofar. But in Ashkenaz, the Minug became, the Minug developed, you know, during the period of the Rishonim, that we blow the shofar every day of Elul. Okay, so good. So that's the Minug. Now, there are Minhagim that make, that say that you blow the shofar starting already a little bit earlier, um, I mean, on Lamed Av, but, uh, you know, to, to count, because you're counting 40 days, and nowadays Elul is always 29 days, so if you're going to count 40 days, you have 29 days of Elul plus the first 10 days of Tishrei, and that's only 39 days, so you have to add a day, so you start from, you start from the 30th day of Av. Okay, so blowing the shofar, that's what makes Elul Elul. Is that what makes Elul Elul? I don't know. Um, it could be, right? We know that the Rambam says, the Rambam does not mention this minhag, but the Rambam uncharacteristically, says, when he's talking about the mitzvah of blowing shofar, he says that the reason we blow the shofar is because it's a mitzvah. God told us to blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. But, he says, even though we do it because it's a mitzvah, there is a remez in the davar. There's, there's a remez. There's a, it, it, it's, it's an illusion. What's the illusion? He says, Uru Wake up, you slumberers. 
from your sleep. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to set an alarm clock, I'm going to set the alarm clock to go off before I need to do what I need to do. Right? If I have a meeting at 10 o'clock, I want to set the alarm for 8 o'clock. So I get up, I shave, I shower, daven, get dressed nicely, get to the meeting looking like a mensch, looking presentable, right? So if, 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 the, if, the, if, the, if the shofar is an alarm clock, like the Rambam suggests it is, or suggests it alludes to, then you're going to want to start blowing the shofar before Rosh Hashanah, right? You want to wake people up, not at the last minute, not on Rosh Hashanah, Although it's possible that for, Ram, for the Rambam, Rosh Hashanah is the first minute, not the last minute. The Yom Kippur is the last minute. Um, but Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the period of Tshuva, right? which is the Pashtas, which is the simple way of understanding it. So the alarm clock goes off on Rosh Hashanah, and then, you know, until Yom Kippur, that's the time to do Tshuva. So if you want to push it back earlier, then set the alarm for a month earlier. And so we set the alarm for Aleph Elul. Fine. So that's one factor. Is that what made Elul Elul? I don't know. Maybe. Um, Svartim saying Slikos. I've been looking into this. I have not been able to figure out. I haven't been able to nail it down. But from what I can understand, from what I can gather, it was really after the time of the Arizal. Right? So it's, it doesn't go back that far. It doesn't go back to the time of the Rishonim. It goes back... 500 years, which is, I mean, that's a serious thing. 500 years is a long time, right? We've been doing Kabbalah Shabbos for 500 years. That's a long time. Uh, but, um, but it doesn't have the same pedigree as some of these other things. Um, so, Svardim, you know, that's another element of it. Now, Ashkenazim and Svardim didn't often encounter each other uh, in, in, in the wild until recent generations. Right? They, they were talking about the, the reason that Ashkenazic communities and Sephardic communities uh, evolved apart from each other in the way they did is because they didn't often encounter each other. We see today that Sephardim and Ashkenazim are living in proximity again, and you do see a little bit, you know, these guys rubbing off on those guys. Um, you know, and, and throughout history, there have been Ashkenazic tra- practices that Sephardim took on, Sephardic practices that Ashkenazim took on. There are a lot of Sephardi Communities that blow the shofar every day in Elul now, um, even though it was originally an Ashkenazic minhag. I saw recently that there's a discussion about the saying L'david Hashem Ori, which we'll get to in a couple of minutes. Um, L'david Hashem Ori was a custom that developed in Ashkenaz. But the Chida encountered it, and he liked it, and there are others that have said that it's a nice thing to do, and there are people that said that really you should say L'david Hashem Ori every day. So even Ruvaj Yosef says... You know what? Saying Ledavid, it's a nice thing to do. You should do it during El. <clears throat> so there are Sephardic communities that say Ledavid Hashem Ori during El. Um, and uh, yeah, there are a lot of things. You know, Kaddish Yasso is an Ashkenazic, uh, is an Ashkenazic minhag. It starts, it, it, it originates in the 1100s, the 1200s, and it, there's a whole history to it. But by the time you get to the late 1300s, early 1400s, the Rivash. In, uh, in Spain, in North Africa, says that the communities are already doing it. But then Svardim influenced Ashkenazim because Svardim never had the minhagim like Ashkenazim did of only one person says it. And at a certain point, the minhag of people saying Kaddish Yasum together, which is something that Svardim were doing, 
sort of trickled back up to the Ashkenazim. Up as in north. Trickled back north to the Ashkenazim. So you have this sort of thing. You have these sorts of, you know, the, you, you have these, these, this effect where Ashkenazim and Sephardi are developing and, and, and influencing each other. And I think that that's increasing nowadays because we just live in the same communities, like my kids. Um, you know, if, you're, if you're in a school and there are Ashkenazi kids and there are Sephardi kids, you're, you're going to end up doing something that's closer to Sephardi Selichos. So my kids are, you know, it, it's, you know, it's a lot, it's the same thing every day. My kids are a lot more familiar with the Sephardi Selichos. Heck, I'm probably familiar with the Sephardi Selichos more than I am with the Ashkenazi Selichos, because even if I just hear the Sephardi Selichos three, four times over the course of an Elul, over the course of a Yom Noraim, you know, that's three, four more times than I'm hearing any, any single day of the Ashkenazi Selichos. So, right, and they're catchier tunes too. Right? Everybody knows that. Right? It's like, you know, they sing it at, at, at soccer games here. Um, so, yeah. So you have that, you have those kinds of effects. Okay, now let's get to, let's talk about Ludavid for a second. Ludavid Hashem Ori. So the first source that we have that mentions a minog of saying it every day, twice a day, is the Mate Ephraim, Rav Ephraim Zalman Margolios, early 1800s. Earlier than that, we don't have. There is discussion of it. Now, there is discussion of it, as I mentioned, the Chida mentions it, or mentions a custom of saying it every day. Uh, but as a recorded minog that's done in communities, we don't really see it going much back before a little over 200 years ago. That doesn't mean anything. I mean, it, it has caught on. Right? And it is based on this medrash. There's this medrash of, you know, Ledovit Hashem, Ori, Ori, Barash Hashanah, Yishi, Biyom Kippur, Kiyotzpinini, Besuko, Besukos, right? And then later on, you had the added Kenech. There's no way to translate Kenech, right? The added, uh, I don't know, angle, the added twist that... At the end of the, at the end of the, uh, at the end of that chapter, at the end of that capital, you have Lule Hemanti, right? And Lule is Elul backwards, and then you have all these other nice um, mnemonic devices. Ani Lidodi Vidodi Li, which isn't actually a pasuk, but it's a, um, but it's nice. Uh, there are all these ramazim, all of these hints that say that okay, this is what this is what Elul is. This refers to Elul. That Elul is the beginning of the time of tshuva, and so that became, um, you know, this all gets added into the mix. But one thing that I was looking into, right, I had, I did a little bit of my own research, and I did, I had some conversations with Professor Professor Charles Stempfer. And this is something that I wondered if this is really part of the mix. And that is um, the yeshiva schedule. And anybody that goes to a yeshiva uh, knows that Elzman starts on Rosh Chodesh Elul. If you go to a yeshiva that doesn't start on Rosh Chodesh Elul, like, you know, some of these places, they start, you know, a week after Rosh Chodesh Elul, especially if Elul is early, like in, you know... Rosh Chodesh Elul is the beginning of August, so like, okay, fine, so Yeshiva will start a, few, a week or two later, 
right? But in the real yeshivas, Elulzman is Elulzman. Elulzman starts on Rosh Chodesh Elul, and it's a really short zman. It's a 40 days zman. Starts Rosh Chodesh Elul, ends on Yom Kippur. You barely leave yeshiva. My son's yeshiva now, he's coming home for one Shabbos, and that's it. The entire Elulzman. In yeshiva for Rosh Hashanah, in yeshiva for Yom Kippur. It's short, but it's really intense. It's super intense. Right? And it really, it kickstarts the whole year. So now, wait a second. Take a step back. There's no question that, you know, Elulzman is a major, is a real feature of today's yeshiva. But was it always this? So that's what I asked Professor Stemfer. In Volozhin, did they have an Elulzman? In other yeshivas, did they have an Elulzman? When did Elulzman become a thing? So Professor Stemfer said that, you know, in Volozhin, there was no such thing as a Zman. And I heard afterwards that there's like this joke that goes around in yeshiva that like the first yeshiva has no, had no zmanim, right? Meaning you just you just learned. And at, at some point, yeshivas developed bein zmanim, but the guy who first thought up bein zmanim is in Gehenna, right? He's going to hell. The guy that thought of bein zmanim. Okay, so that was the ethos in Volozhin. In Volozhin, we know it had an ethos of twenty four seven. They had shifts. There was always somebody in the base medrash. And so there was always somebody in the base medrash at any hour of the day, but also on any day of the year. And Professor Schemper also said that, you know, they have like the journals of some of the early students in Volozhin, and nobody really talked about how special the Yom Norayim were in yeshiva. Um, he suggests it's probably because, you know, it wasn't that different from what they got at home. But he said that they all talked about how special the Pesach Seder was. Because the Pesach Seder probably was quite different from what they got at home. It was probably much more of a learning experience, like sitting and learning all night, like the, like the Chachamim and B'nai Brak. And then I looked at the Sefer, uh, Sefer on Hungarian yeshivas from uh, Avraham Fuchs, and I found something completely different. In the Hungarian yeshivas, says Avraham, Fru, Avraham Fuchs, they had two zamanim a year. There were two sessions. There were two terms, two semesters. One of them basically went from after Sukkot until before Pesach, a couple weeks before Pesach. And the other one started a little bit after Pesach and went until the middle of Elul. So basically the longest vacation of the year for the Hungarian yeshivas encompassed Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. Right? And that I figured they had to give off enough time for the guys to get home. Hungarian yeshivas, right? You know, like we're talking about the era of train travel. So people could get around in the Austro Hungarian Empire, the Austrian Empire, then the Hungarian Empire. Um, but, uh, but it probably took some time, especially if you're talking about smaller villages in Hungary. But, you know, I, I would suspect that a significant number of the students did have the means, were middle class and could travel home. There probably were some that didn't, and those, uh, they made arrangements for them to stay in town, as it were, for, uh, for the Yomim Tovim. But as far as the yeshiva schedule went, <laughs> there were Zmanim, there were vacation times, but Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur were specifically not in yeshiva, you were off. You were home. 
So where does Elsman come from? So I haven't found a good answer yet. I haven't found, you know, it's, it's clearly, that's the norm now. I can't think of a single yeshiva that doesn't have that as the norm, right? And that for the most part, except, you know, sometimes you might start in a new yeshiva after Pesach, especially if you want to, you know, if you want to, if you want to go to, if you want to start dating after Sukkot, right? So you want to come out of the freezer after Sukkot, as they say. So you, you want to start after Pesach so that you get like a full Zman, and Elzman doesn't count for that. So you want to get a full Zman in before you can start dating. So you start after Pesach. You switch into the, you switch into a new yeshiva. But the beginning of the year of the yeshiva is generally understood to be Elzman. That's when, that's when the, that's when the yeshiva year starts. And it roughly parallels in the Western world, that's when everything starts. Schools start around this time, in the fall, after the summer vacation. So you have, throughout the West, summer vacation, and then starts the school year, whether the school year is university, whether the school year is yeshiva, whether the school year is elementary or high school. Right? And I think that it's, you know, I, I can't say that the yeshiva... We're not talking about influence here. We're not talking about, oh, yeshiva's just copying what everybody else is doing. If the rhythm of your life is such that the summer is the time of vacation, and then the fall is the time, right? and I think it probably has roots in the agricultural systems as well, the fall is the time that you begin your studies, then it just becomes part of the rhythm of life, right? And if you're going to start a new school, you're going to start the term in at some point in the fall, right? Whether it's August or September or October, you can, you can dings it, right? You know, some places might do it this, this, here and some places might do it there. But for the most part, that's when, you know, late summer, early autumn, that's when, that's when the year starts. And so the yeshivas, and, I, and Professor Stemfer thinks that it's related to the Musa yeshivas, that the Musa yeshivas really did have an Elul consciousness. And so that sense of, you know, we're going to have a really intense but really short Elulzman, um, it might go back specifically to the, Musa, the first Musa yeshivas, like, uh, like tells, um, like yeshivas that were, that incorporated Musa. Not Musa yeshivas per se, but yeshivas that incorporated Musa. Um, but... And it's those yeshivas that are that are, that uh, and in the late the late eighteen hundreds you start having students writing home saying how amazing the Yomim no Rayim were in the yeshiva right and how they were so great and so that's again we haven't nailed anything down these were we were uh, a little bit uh, I wouldn't say we were spitballing I wouldn't say that that's what Professor Stemford does right he's he's <laughs> these these are very educated guesses. Um, but, uh, but he didn't have a good answer for when exactly the current arrangement of how yeshiva is, how yeshiva happens, how, like how, how the yeshiva year is structured, came into being. Clearly, it only became universal after World War II, because until World War II, the Hungarian yeshivas had a different sort of structure. Um, and I think that if we're going to talk about you know, when Elul became Elul, I think you have to really talk about the yeshiva context. I think it's the yeshivas that made Elul into Elul. 
And because, I mean, you think about it, blowing the shofar, there's no question. It's something. It creates, it resonates. It means something. Um, there's no question that saying the David Hashem Ori twice a day has an impact. I would say that Slichos has an even greater impact for those who get up every morning or, you know, get up at midnight or get up early in the morning to, uh, to say Slichos. And especially now that the Slichos incorporates chauffeur blowing, that definitely has, contributes to the mood, to the vibe of, um, of Elul. But I think that when we talk about the contemporary experience of Elul, of, you know, the idea of HaMelech Basadeh. And by the way, the idea of HaMelech Basadeh is based on a mashal given by one of the early Chabad Rebbes, maybe the earliest, maybe the first Chabad Rebbe. But again, that, that's going back a little over 200 years about how the king is coming to inspect his kingdom. When the king is, is going into the... He goes into the city, but... Before he goes into the city, he passes through the fields on the outskirts of the city. Now, when he's in the city, it's impossible to get a private audience. But while the king is still in the field and hasn't gotten into the city yet, that's when it's possible to, you know, to, to, to grab a five-minute schmooze with the king. So this is El is the time that the king is coming in. Rashanayim Kippur, the king is going to be in the palace. The king is going to be on the throne of justice. But during Elul, as it were, the king is traveling too. And while the king is traveling too, it's possible to, to have a schmooze, right? To, to spend a little bit of time with the king with nobody around. It's like, you know, like the, all the best stories about getting to know a great person um, is, you know, driving their car while, the, while, while in transit, right? Uh, you know, all the stories are like, oh yeah, I was giving this rub a ride and I was driving with that rub. Those are the best stories, right? So the king, Hamel Masada, is that sort, same sort of idea. The king is traveling. So when the king is traveling, you can, you can schmooze with the king. Um, so that whole vibe, that whole environment, that whole feeling of Elul, you know, I, I think that it's been brewing for a while, and it certainly is based in things that go back to our earliest sources, back to the Gemara earlier. But at the same time, I think that the contemporary experience is something that is very much shaped by the yeshiva experience. And from the yeshiva experience, it has sort of, you know, especially with Hasidisha, meaning that like the, the, merge, the merging of Hasidish ideas with the yeshiva experience, right? The, you know, what we would call, you know, what's, what's, what's colloquially being called neo-Hasidus. Um, but you're probably going back earlier to actual Hasidish yeshivas, where you have, um, or, or to the Musa yeshivas, where you have this, merge, this merging of the yeshiva structure, the structure of the yeshiva year, with certain ideas that have been floating around for a very long time about Elul as a time to do tshuva. And that is created today, in our generation, um, a, a, an Elul vibe, a sense of what Elul is supposed to feel like. And I think that this is something which is, it's new, and I think it's good. Um, I don't think that you had this. I don't think that in, in prior generations, you had a, you know, a, a pervading sense 
of Elul is here. Maybe, um, maybe amongst Yechidim, or maybe amongst communities where they where they did, where everybody did say Slichus from the beginning of Elul, or maybe in Ashkenazic communities, maybe from the first night of Slichos or something like that. But for the most part, I think that the universal Elul vibe, um, the pervasive Elul vibe that we have, that you can really see, you can really see it everywhere, um, is something that's is something that's relatively new, um, and it's kind of nice. I kind of like it. Have a ksiva v'chasimatova, and uh, hopefully this will not be my last podcast before Rosh Hashanah, but it might be. So, in case it is, ksiva v'chasimatova.